You're listening to the New Gen Sermon Podcast. I'd do a little bit of a recap because we've been going through this book since I think February 2021. So it's quite a while ago. And uh, if you're anything like me, uh, I can't even remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. So I think it's good to go over and just, just to recap this morning. And Father, I just pray that as we, as we go through what we've already covered in the book of Hebrews, that you would speak to us and that you would just uh, maybe highlight some things and remind us of some things that we've learned already. I pray for a revelation of your word as we, as we look at the book of Hebrews. I pray that you would speak to us and that you would bring change in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Yeah, so 20 months ago, we began the series on the book of Hebrews, and I just want to recap some of the main points uh, that we've covered uh, so far in this book. One of the first things that I said in the very first message when we looked at Hebrews was that I believe, personally, some, some people believe this, some scholars think it's different reasons, but I personally believe that Hebrews is a sermon. And that's because when you read the book of Hebrews, it reads like a sermon. There's no starting like um, I, Paul, and Timothy are writing to you from this place, and we're writing to these people. It just launches straight into uh, kind of like a sermon. So I'll show you what I mean. I'll read verses 1, 1 to 4 from chapter 1, and I'll try and read it like I'm preaching it. Just, just pretend you are a congregation that the, that the leadership have received the letter of Hebrews or the sermon of Hebrews, and basically one of the elders is just going to stand up and read it word for word. This is what would have happened. There's no, there's no good morning or this letter's from anyone. It just starts like this. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory glory, and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. And when he had cleansed us from our sins... He sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their name. So to me, that's how sermon starts. Long ago, God spoke in many ways to us through the prophets, but now he's speaking to us through his Son. And the audience is like, whoa, okay, this is amazing. God's Son is speaking to us, not prophets, not someone else. This is a personal encounter with Jesus. And so in this sermon, the preacher is encouraging believers, Christians, to endure in their faith. And uh, he wants his listeners to see and understand the greatness of Jesus. That's part of the main thrust of the book of Hebrews, because these are the points that are made. Jesus is the greatest son. Jesus is greater than the angels. He is greater than the prophets. 
He is he's greater than Moses. And to the Jews, that's saying something. Because to them, Moses is like the greatest human that's ever walked the face of the earth. Jesus is a superior king. He, he is a superior high priest who offers a superior sacrifice in a superior tabernacle. It's all about Jesus is superior. He is the greatest. He's better than anything else. That's what the, the sermon is, is saying. I love the words from Colossians in chapter 1, verse 15 to 20. It says this, Colossians 1, 15 to 20. It's all about the superiority of Christ. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. He holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. God made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Jesus Christ is supreme over everything. He is first in everything, the first to rise from the dead. He is he is, he is absolute first place and supremacy in all of creation. Amen? And so as we listen to the sermon in Hebrews, as we go through Christ is better than this, he's better than this, he's a better sacrifice, better high priest, ministering in a better tabernacle, there's this growing sense, this is what I get, there's a growing sense of the greatness of Jesus. You begin to go, wow, 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 wow. Jesus is amazing. And remember, he's preaching to Christians who are backsliding at the time, a church that's on the decline. Hebrews is not written to a brand new church. Hebrews is written to a mature church who's been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, and now the T-shirt's got old and worn out and they're about to throw it away. They're drifting. They're losing their faith. They're doubting. And some are even denying Jesus as Lord. And... It strikes me as similar to the day and age that we live in. I don't know if you feel that, but I think over the last two years, I've heard reports that thousands of churches have closed. Yeah, I was in a meeting this week with the, with the church leaders in Wyndham, and every, every church, every leader is saying the same things. Numbers are down. People are leaving the church. Finances are down. Leaders are burning out. Same thing going on everywhere. What's the remedy for all of this? How do we keep running the race? How do we endure to the end? Well, when you, when you get near the end of the sermon, when you get near the end, in chapter 12 and verse 2, this is what is said. 
How do we endure? How do we keep running? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. How do we endure to the end? By trying harder, by skilling up, <laughs> by doing this and that and the next thing? No, by keeping your eyes on Jesus. Don't lose sight of Jesus. He's the initiator and he's the perfecter of our faith. If we lose sight of him, we lose our faith. That's what will happen. Make the goal of your life the same as the Apostle Paul. He said the goal of his life is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. What does that mean? It means Paul, the apostle, made the goal of his life to know Jesus while he was here on earth. And then after the resurrection, after he's been resurrection, resurrected, to know Jesus for all of eternity. It's all about knowing Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Our vision for this church is to know Christ and to make him known. The goal that we have is to know Christ. And then when we know him, we make him known to other people. And we're not trying to be clever like this is some kind of a clever catchphrase that we've come up with because it's the vision that Jesus gave to the church. We're not reinventing the wheel when the wheel is perfect. It's the great commandment and the great commission put together. That's all it is. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, everything. Love God. And then when you do that, go into all the world and make, preach the gospel. Teach others what you know about the Lord. That's all it is. And this is what Hebrews is telling us. You know, when, when your eyes are fixed on Jesus, when you see the greatness of Jesus, your faith is strengthened. Your walk with God is strengthened. You, you begin to live the life that he's called you to live when your eyes are on him. But take your eyes off of Jesus and then you begin to drift. And then you begin to doubt. You stop hearing God and your faith is in danger of being shipwrecked. You begin to question the Bible. You stop praying. You stop giving. You stop meeting together. You stop believing. And Hebrews contains these warnings. There are five warnings in the book of Hebrews. And for me, they, they are incredibly serious. They are not to be taken lightly. Warnings that show a downward spiral of a person losing faith. And then chapter 10 in the book of Hebrews, it kind of comes to a crossroads. I'll just read it for you. Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 39, just before we get into the chapter on faith, this is, what, this is where the preacher brings the audience to. But we are not like those, verse 39, who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. So there's a choice. There's those who turn away from God and end in destruction, and then there's those who turn to God and remain faithful and are saved. That's what he's saying. The choice of Hebrews 10, verse 39. 
And the encouragement from the preacher is turn to Jesus. Press in on Jesus. Set your gaze on Jesus and to know him more and more and more and more. Have that as the goal of your life. And no matter how hard things get, you will make it to the end. That's what Hebrews is saying. And then he gives some wonderful examples in chapter 11 on faith and talks about what faith is and how this new life that we live is a life of faith. This is the way we live in the new, co in the new covenant. This is the way we live uh, as a Christian. The Bible says the just will live by faith. Not by sight, but by faith. So we might look around and we might see things falling to bits and pieces around us, but it, but it doesn't get us down because we live by faith. We, we live according to what God has said, not according to what everyone else says. Popular opinion. doesn't matter if 99.999% of the world think that something is going to happen. It's what does God say is going to happen. That's how we live by faith. That's how we're not crumbling when things get hard because we have the Word of God to live by. Faith pleases God as well. We looked at that. And we also looked at faith has to be accompanied by an appropriate action. It's no good saying, I have faith and do nothing. <laughs> faith is not enough, or sorry, I should say, believing is not enough. Because the Bible says even the demons believe and they shudder. Believing with action, that's faith. Faith is a verb. <laughs> it has appropriate action attached to it. And so we looked at this whole thing of living by faith in the new covenant. And we looked at covenants in general. And we spent a couple of weeks, maybe six or seven weeks, looking at what a covenant is, what a covenant isn't, what is a contract? What is a covenant? What are the covenants that God has made? And uh, we saw that he made covenants with various people in the Bible. Noah, uh, Abraham, Moses, David. And we call them the Noahic, the Davidic, the Abrahamic uh, covenants, the Mosaic covenants. And we looked at all of those and we looked at the new covenant. And one of the things, uh, actually two things, that stood out to me was that number one, God is a covenant-making God. He makes covenants. And the reason he does that is because relationship with God is not possible unless we're in a covenant with God. No one can just say, you know what? I just feel like getting to know God. I'm just going to waltz right in there. I'm going to walk into his throne room and get to know him. You can't do that. You can only approach God on the basis of a covenant. If you don't have a covenant, you're out. <laughs> uh, and God, and that, that means God has to initiate that covenant. And so that's what he does. He comes and he meets with these people. Abraham makes a covenant with Abraham. Says, this is what I'm going to do for you. What are you going to do for me? doesn't matter. I'm going to do this for you. And I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations. Then he comes to Noah. He says, look, I'm going to destroy the world, but I'll never do it again. I'll always provide enough food. I'll always bring seasons. I'll never destroy the world in a flood. So the, the movie 2022 or whatever it is, 2012, it'll never happen. 
The world will never, ever, ever be destroyed by a flood. If you're living on the seashore, don't worry. <laughs> if you're living on the coast, <laughs> we live by faith or we live by sight. We live by faith. God said he'll never do it ever again. Amen? We might have some localized flooding, so don't build in a riverbed. But, uh, but it won't be a worldwide thing. Praise God for that. So God is a covenant-making God. And then the other point, which is really important, is that God is a covenant-keeping God. He's not like me, who's good at starting things and then not finishing. He doesn't just go around making covenants here, there, and everywhere, and then going, oh, I forgot about that one. Sorry, bud. I'll make another one with you. No. He makes a covenant and he keeps it, which is wonderful. Hebrews says that Jesus, as high priest, is the mediator of a superior covenant based on better promises. So what we live in now is superior to what anybody in the Old Testament had. Moses spoke to God in that holy of holy place, and he, he heard the voice of God from the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant between those two cherubim. Imagine that, hearing God's audible voice. You and I are in a better covenant than what he had. It says that he knew God face to face. What we have is better. Wow. You in your quiet time is better than Moses in the tabernacle. Dead silence, because we don't believe it. <laughs> if we're really honest, we're thinking that tabernacle is better. But actually, God says what you have is better. It is not just better, it is far better, far superior, because it's based on better promises. And the way we enter into this new covenant is by faith, believing and acting upon what we believe. The way we inherit all the blessings and the provision of the new covenant is by faith. That's how we access everything. Back in the book of Exodus, uh, the Hebrews were rescued from Egypt, from slavery in Egypt. The Hebrews as a nation, were a group of slaves. That's their start as a nation. They were slaves in Egypt, and they were rescued by the Lord. They were rescued by the blood of the Passover lamb. God had, had performed all these major plagues and signs and wonders, and every time Pharaoh said, okay, go, and then he changed his mind. Frogs everywhere. Go, please, get rid of these frogs. And then as soon as they were gone, up, you can't go. Then hail, which destroyed all of Egypt's crops and animals, except the Hebrews. <laughs> they never got hail. And then gnats. I mean, imagine. I mean, you, I've been to places where there's flies everywhere. You can't even speak. You've got flies in your mouth. The whole of Egypt just covered in little bugs, little gnats. And Pharaoh every time said, please get rid of this. And as soon as it was gone, nope, you're not allowed to go until the Passover. And when the Passover happened and that angel of destruction went across Egypt and killed every single firstborn son, 
throughout the whole land, Pharaoh said, right, now you can go. There's no stopping you now. And so it's this Passover, the blood of the lamb, of the Passover lamb is what saved them. That's what got them out of Egypt. And they had, God instructed the Hebrews to do a very specific thing for the Passover. They had to pick a lamb without spot or blemish, an innocent lamb. They had done nothing wrong. They had to slaughter that lamb, and then they had to eat the Passover meal. But before that happened, they had to collect the blood from that lamb in a bowl. They couldn't just slaughter the lamb and let the blood just spill on the ground anywhere. They had to collect it in a bowl, very specific. And then God said, now what I want you to do, you need to find a branch from a hyssop plant. And hyssop is like a shrub. It just grows wild everywhere. It's very common. It's very easy to find. It's not like God said you need some magical tree or something that grows on this mountain and it's a 10-day journey and whatever. You can just pretty much walk outside and grab some hyssop. It's everywhere, right? Grab that, dip that hyssop in the bowl, and then put the blood from the lamb on the doorposts and on the lintel of your door. And then you go inside your house, you celebrate the Passover meal, and anyone that is inside and behind the blood was saved from judgment. If you went outside, you faced judgment. If you didn't have blood on your door, you faced judgment. There was no discrimination with anyone that didn't have the blood of the lamb. Didn't matter who you were, from the lowest of the low in Egypt all the way up to Pharaoh. Moses' brother-in-law, or could have been, dead. The firstborn son of Pharaoh, dead. And so that's what happened. They had to be behind the blood to be saved. And it's the same for us in the new covenant. Jesus is that sacrificial lamb. In, in the book of Revelation, John looks and he says, he saw a lamb as though slain. That's Jesus. He is the lamb that was slain. And it's his blood that protects us from judgment. But here's the thing. How do we get the blood of Jesus that was, sac that was given at the cross? How do we apply it to our lives? Because unlike many, many Christians believe, it's not automatic. It doesn't just happen. In the same way that the blood from the Passover lamb didn't just spring onto the door. They had to do something to get it to the door. They had to use a common plant that cost them nothing to put it in the bowl and to sprinkle it on the door and then stay behind the blood. What is that thing, that hyssop, in our lives today, in the new covenant? How do we apply the blood of Jesus to our lives? We do it by faith, by believing in the power of the blood and by an action. And I believe that action is confession. We speak it out. We say it. Because Romans 10 verse 9 says this. Romans 10 and verse 9. It says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If 
you speak it out and you believe it in your heart, you'll be saved. It's not enough just to believe. Faith has to have action. Faith has to go, I believe this. That's why I'm speaking. That is my confession. In, he, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about Jesus being the high priest of our confession. It's who we confess about. We say, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus died on the cross. He paid my price. He, he shed his blood so that I don't have to. He took on my sins. It's what we say. None of it, none of it happens in our lives if we're an undercover Christian <laughs> that never says a word to anybody. Because out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. What's in your heart? It has to come out your mouth. And so we confess. And just like hyssop is a, is a plant that was common, it's easily available. To confess costs you nothing. It's easy to do. So do it. <laughs> and we're saying, I'm not trusting in myself. I'm not trusting in others. I'm not trusting in money. I'm not trusting in any other power. What I put my trust in is the blood of Jesus. The power that that has. That is the only thing that has the power to forgive me of my sins and to wash me clean. There is no other detergent strong enough <laughs> to wash away all the wrongdoing that I've done other than the blood of Jesus. And I'm going to stay behind the blood. I'm going to endure and I'm going to keep trusting until my last breath. See, the reason the, reason the church at the time of this sermon in Hebrews was declining and falling away was because they'd lost their confession. It was one of the things that they'd stopped doing. And you can see it in Hebrews 10 verse 23. It says this, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep His promise. Now that's in the New Living Translation, which is a translation that's written in an easier to understand version of English. Because most of us don't know what the word confession means. We never use it. If you're Catholic here, yeah, you'll know what the word confession means. But if you don't, have a look at the ESV, which is the English Standard Version. And it says this, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Same verse, 10.23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. Why is the writer of Hebrews saying this? Because they're not holding fast. They're drifting away. They're doubting. They're going, oh, we don't think this stuff is really real. You know, things are falling apart. Jesus said he'd rebuild the temple. The Romans came. They destroyed the temple. It's still in ruins. What's going on? And they're losing their confession. They're letting things go. And then if you add Hebrews 10 verse 35, it says, so don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Don't throw it away. Use your confession. And, and this, is, this is what I found in my own life. When, when I'm trusting for a breakthrough, when I'm praying for something and I feel like maybe I'm under attack or something like that, I find that I forget all I need to do is confess. I need to start getting the Word of God and saying, no, no. This is what God's Word says. 
This is what I'm speaking over my life. God says this, don't worry about what you will eat or drink because he's going to take care of it. So I confess that. I don't just say, oh, in my heart, I'm just trusting God. And I confess it. Why? Because I want God to hear. I want people to hear. And I want the unseen realm around me to hear. All those demons need to know, hey, I'm putting my trust in God. Amen? That's who I'm speaking it out to. But this church in Hebrews was a church that stopped speaking out about what they believed in. They threw away their confession in faith. And so the writer is saying, keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't lose sight of him. Don't lose sight of the greatness of who Jesus is. If Jesus is becoming smaller and smaller and smaller in your life, don't lose sight of him. Read the word and say, God, renew my view of Jesus. Help, help me to see how great he is and, and fix your eyes on him. We live by faith. The, 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 the sermon is saying, live by faith. Don't live by sight. Don't look around and what's going on. Okay, things are difficult, but don't worry. Live by faith in the new covenant that you're in, the superior covenant. And then make the right confession of faith. That's what the sermon is saying. And you will endure to the end. Don't give up. Don't hold on to Jesus for a couple of years and then go, nah, this isn't working. Give that a break. Keep going on until your last breath. Endure to the end. Let me end this message with the first two verses from chapter 12. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, and I'll end with this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, who are those witnesses? All these guys in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 that did all these great things, Abraham, Sarah, Rahab, uh, Gideon, all these guys, and all the things they did, plus many more. We're surrounded by people who have gone before us who have done things by faith, lived lives of faith. Since we are surrounded by them, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. How we do this? by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. In the original, it's at the right hand of God, a place of highest honor. That's where Jesus is seated. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Whatever you believe from the Bible, speak it out. Confess it. Give, the, give your faith, give your belief an appropriate action. If, if, you, if God is saying, this is, this is what you need to do, forgive those who do wrong to you, then forgive them. <laughs> it's not just going to happen automatically. Forgive them. Amen. Let's... Let's keep enduring. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus and let's speak out what we believe in. Don't be an undercover Christian. <laughs> be someone who speaks out. Let the world around you know 
the unseen world and the seen world. This is what the Bible says. Read this and speak it out and you will see incredible breakthrough in your life and you'll endure to the end. Isn't that what we all want to do? Eh? Keep our faith right till the end.